All right, I want to tell you guys a little something about my sermon writing process, uh, which I don't often do. I never really talk about it. But what tends to happen is sometime in the early part of a week, I'll have a sermon idea. This is if we're not doing a series or something. I'll, I'll have a sermon idea, and uh, I'll sit down, and I'll, I'll map out a, a rough outline of how it's going to go, and I break it down into these compartments, and then I break my week down into compartments, and then I think about each of those compartments at different times during the day. So a lot of my sermon writing or the formation of what I says happens uh, when I'm in the shower uh, or when I'm driving my car uh, or when I'm walking the dog, like all of these are times where there are, I'm just stewing on these different ideas and so I just have uh, my sermon happening in my Evernote folder on my phone and I, my sermons just sort of take shape over three or four days and then I'm able to sit down with them and, and, and finally flesh it out. Uh, the reason why I tell you that is that I had one of the strangest compartmentalized sessions this week while I was driving my car. On Wednesday evening I was driving and um, I had this very bizarre thing come into my head. And I'll tell you this, okay, I had a daydream about Prince William. Oh, yeah, it's very intriguing. <laughs> it gets weird, right? It gets a little bit weird. First of all, first of all, <laughs> am I saying this? Yeah, I am. <laughs> first of all, I don't really know, like, my geography of England very well. I've never been before. Okay, but in this, uh, in this moment while I was driving and I was thinking about this, this thing, what happened, right, was I, was I was in England, London, I think. Is Buckingham Palace in London? Have I got that right? Okay, few. All right. <laughs> um, so I was there. It was nighttime, okay? I was just walking the street, and I walked up to Buckingham Palace. I walked straight past those dudes with the hats, and I just sort of gave them a little, like, you know, a little, a little eyebrow nod, just, a, just a, a mere acknowledgement, strolled right past them into the grounds, right, walked up to the front door, and also, I also realized that Prince William, I don't think he even lives in Buckingham Palace, right? <laughs> okay, yeah, I don't even think so, but anyway, this is what happened. So, <laughs> I walked up to this door, and I, the front door of Buckingham Palace, and I pushed it open, and it kind of did that little creak thing that kind of happens, maybe in the beginning of Beauty and the Beast or something, you know, when bells, you know, and I was like, hello? <laughs> And there's no sound, and I just kind of, anyway, I just walked on in, right? And then I just walked up the stairs, like I just knew the place, right? It was, you know, walked on in, went up the stairs, found this, found this bedroom, walked into this bedroom, and I was like, this looks like a comfortable bed, kind of Goldilocks-style-esque, right? And I get in this bed, and I, and I roll over, and there's this figure next to me, <laughs> right? And it was Prince William. <laughs> And I was like, <laughs> it doesn't get too much weirder than that, okay? Just, just so you know. Anyway, but in the, it was, <laughs> yeah, while I'm driving, <laughs> this, is the th this, is the, this is the thought that I had. This is the thought I had. I'm lying and then I'm looking and I go, William. William. And his eyes kind of like gently open. <laughs> and, and he like just looks at me and I go, I just wanted to tell you about my week. <laughs> Maybe ask you for some things. And then his eyes fully opened and he screamed and like all these security guards came in and took me in and dragged me out. And like that was the end of this thing. And, I, and I'm in my car sitting on Glenfield Road driving home. And I'm like, that was the weirdest thought I've ever had when I've been thinking about a sermon. 
Isn't it weird that that's the exact relationship we have with Jesus? Have you thought about that, right? Like, this is, this is where it came from. Isn't it, like, isn't it a bizarre thing to think about just having this, like, incredibly intimate moment with a, with a king or a, or a prince, with someone of royalty? Isn't that a strange and bizarre thought? Yet this is the thing we talk about and we preach about when we talk about Jesus. We, we know Jesus as our Lord and our God and our King, but we also talk about him as our friend, this person that we share our deepest secrets with. It's a strange story when I package it in a Prince William daydream. But that's kind of the reality of our faith, of our Christian walk. That's what we have. We have a King who is also a friend. I've had a messed up throat for the last week and a half, so... I'll be drinking a lot of water tonight. Um, <laughs> and so even though it's an incredibly bizarre thing, I feel like it's, um, I feel like it's a pertinent thing, to, uh, pertinent thing for me to talk about because it's very much representative of my, of my relationship with God. Over the past few years, I have come to know God as, as a close friend. And even earlier this week when we had um, our new people's gathering, we were sitting around in a circle talking, we were asked to share what's one of the most key theological ideas for us. And as I sat there, it was like, man, I think I, over the years, I've come up with so many different answers in that circle. And what I came up with as an answer this week was this. It was like, man, Jesus is my friend. And he loves me and he knows me. And, and just being okay with that, that's one of the most special things to me, one of the most important theological things to me. And so I wanted, uh, I wanted to explore that a little bit. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about our perspective of God how we view God, how we think about God. And in many ways, it bounces a little bit off. If you were here a few weeks ago, I did a sermon called, Who Do You Say That I Am? And in many ways, tonight's sermon bounces off the back of that. I, I think it's important to talk about how we view God, what we think about when we talk about God, because I firmly believe that that shapes who we are and how we act with the world around us, right? Our perspective of God shapes our participation in life, right? Right? It shapes how we uh, work in our workplace. It shapes how we engage in relationships. It shapes the way we talk to one another. It shapes the way we raise children. It shapes the way we live out our marriages. Our perspective of God is an incredibly important part of who we are and what we're about. It informs everything we do to some degree or another. What's interesting is I've been listening to a bunch of podcasts, and one of the things that's come up in a couple of podcasts I've been listening to um, is, is uh, really around this idea of how we view God. And, and uh, there, are, there have been studies and brain scans done on people, uh, and they're asked questions about God. And what's become really obvious is that people tend to view God in one of two ways. They um, tend to view God as uh, inherently strict and judging, right? Or they tend to view Him as infinitely loving, and what's interesting is, is that those two different views, and you know, that's kind of like boiled down to the simplest possible denominators. But what that boils down to is this, is that people who uh, believe that God is inherently strict and judging, um, they tend to have uh, incredibly good impulse control, right? So they can pretty good, they're pretty good at self-control. Oh, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. I'm going to stop. But they also uh, tend to be more responsive. Uh, they tend to experience more stress. They tend to um, uh, experience shame to a greater level. They, they tend to often live in a lot more, uh, with a lot more secrecy in their lives. Um, and interestingly enough, they have a shorter lifespan, right? There's, this is just a correlation between believing that God is strict and judge. 
And people who believe, uh, believe that God is loving tend to be like uh, a, little bit more, a little bit more flexible about things, but they also tend to be people who, who practice vulnerability and who value authenticity. Um, they tend to be uh, a lot more compassionate and stuff, but they don't really value uh, uh, sort of morality to the same level. So there are these two different perspectives that inform how people believe and how they interact with the world. This is just studies that are done on what people believe about God. Isn't that interesting? Our perspective of God shapes what we believe about who we are and how we engage with the world around us. <clears throat> now, uh, we've, we've used the words king and friend, and, and I understand that those are not the only two words. I love that in a song that we were singing earlier, there are a whole bunch of different words to describe who Jesus was. These are, these are words that we use to describe Jesus or to describe God. We use the word teacher, rabbi, creator, king, lord, messiah, friend, savior, judge, redeemer. There are all of these different words that we tend to use. Um, but tonight... The words that I've felt drawn to have been king and friend. Not because I believe that they are the most important words, that they are the only words that we can use to describe Jesus, but I just believe that they represent two sides of an idea that I want to explore. <coughs> and that actually all of these other ideas, um, can, all of these other titles can fall into either side of that idea as well. And so, when I think of king, when I think of king, I imagine that which is sovereign. I imagine that which is a power over something. Uh, king wants to happen is what happens. This is how laws used to work back in the day, right? A king would decree something and everyone would follow. They, they laid out the law of the land. Their word was law. The king's word was just and the king's word was final. The king sort of stands over everything. But the king was also distant. The king wasn't necessarily present to everything. And when I think about friend, that's what I think about. When I think of friend, I imagine that which is present, available, caring, personal, and sacrificial. I think about those moments where your friends have just been there for you. I'm sure each, each and every one of us has those friends where you've called up and you've said, man, stuff really hit the fan today. And they've said, right, oh, I'm canceling everything and I'll be there right, I'll be there right away. Right? Like, you know those kinds of friends? You know when you've done that for someone, where it's like no matter what muck is going on, no matter what messiness is happening in your life, it's like those people just move towards you and they're present to you. And they don't always have the right thing to say, but they just, they just sort of nod or they hold you in the silence. You know, they cry with you, right? Like we all know those friends. We all have those friends. And what's amazing to me is that we worship and live in relationship with a God who wholly embodies both of these ideas. Both of these ideas. Religions across the world tend to put God in like one of two camps, right? Right? Well, God's over there and the gods are angry and the world is sort of born out of chaos and violence and this is how the world kind of happened. Um, or like, oh no, you've got this God inside of you and uh, you know, this is kind of what's going on over here. But, but these are not ideas that Christianity is trying to, trying to own on both sides of the scale. No, the story of Jesus 
is one that, that takes both of those things. The story of Christianity is of a sovereign creator God who is not bound by the limitations of, of our universe but sits outside of those things, but who is also present to them. This God who sits, out, who sits and creates out of love and then longs to be in relationship with. The God who looks over all creation and yet knows all of creation intimately and personally. The theological paradigm for understanding this comes down to two words, transcendent and imminent. These have been some of my favorite words that I've come across uh, over my years of study, and they're incredibly helpful for viewing the way uh, we think about God. They're incredibly helpful for viewing, uh, sh helping shape our perspective and our understanding of God. God is the transcendent and imminent God. So let's uh, explore what those words mean a little bit. So the transcendence of God is this, right? God and his creation, including humanity, do not share the same essence or nature. There's something, there's something different. God is of a completely different kind of existence from us. And this is where the word transcendent comes from. This is a God, uh, this existence sort of sits outside our realm of understanding, outside of our reality. If you sort of think about, you know, we live in this three-dimensional world. Maybe God exists in some sort of four-dimensional world. Or if, we're, if we imagine that we were just two-dimensional stick figures on a piece of paper, and like God was sort of outside of that. But even that isn't necessarily enough because it's almost like that form of existence couldn't quite capture the kind of existence that God has. God transcends our understanding of what existence is. This is like everything, you know, when you think about this word, it actually gets a little bit, <clears throat> a little bit intense because it's kind of hard to imagine that which is bigger than what we can comprehend, right? That's a strange concept to think about. And so God just keeps getting bigger and bigger. It's actually very easy for us to say, yeah, God is infinitely loving. Like it's easy for us to say that, but when you sit and you think about what that means, it can probably hurt your brain a little bit. Or maybe you don't think about those things, but it definitely made my brain hurt because I, I think about them from time to time when I'm driving and not thinking about Prince William. Um, <clears throat> so God is transcendent. He, he exists uh, in a different manner to us. Now, of course, uh, humans are like God in some ways. We are made uh, as divine image bearers. We are made in the image of God to reflect the image of, and beauty of God, to live as God's um, image uh, to all of creation. Um, but there are, there are these unique qualities and attributes that only God possesses. And so this is what we see. This, these, are, these are the unique attributes of God. We see uh, that God has no beginning and no end, which is a strange concept to think about, right? Um, that he sits outside of time. Um, God is absolutely powerful, um, so omnipotent, and uh, he knows everything, right? He knows everything. Um, he, he, he can be everywhere at once and he never changes. He, this God is totally just. God is absolutely loving and compassionate. God speaks uh, creation into existence um, and, uh, and he is three in one. There's this strange concept called the Trinity that, that the church has wrestled with for thousands of years. This um, paradoxical understanding of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but also one Thing. And so 
There are these things that just kind of mess with our minds. But this is the reality of God. God sits outside of that of which we know. He is bigger than what we know, bigger than what we exist, and bigger than what we live in. This is what Scripture speaks to. Isaiah 55, 9 says this, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Right. So everything you can understand, um, because you can't understand heaven, heaven is bigger than what you know, uh, sort of exists outside of what you know. So is the same with how I act and how I think. This is what God is saying through the prophet Isaiah. Uh, Psalm 113, uh, 113 verses 5 to 6 is this, Who is like the Lord our God? who is seated on high, who looks far down on the, uh, on the heavens and the earth. Who is like our God who is seated on high? So there's the sense of God being in power, but also, also in a way, also in a sense being far away. Uh, this God who looks over everything, sort of fr- like from a throne, like as a king would observe his landscape. This is how God views all of earth. Similarly, same sort of idea in Isaiah 40, 22 to 23. It is God who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Oh, that's a bit, uh, a bit strange. Um, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Like there's this sense that God is this all-powerful, sovereign creator king who sits outside of reality and who sits over everything, sort of like watching a little, a little game of chess or something happening down below, right? Like maybe, maybe like he's a Warhammer player or something, like, you know, painting these little figurines or something like that. There's this sense of like, you know, like this incredibly powerful thing and like these, these tiny little things just sort of happening beneath him. So this, was, um, this is like the authors of the Old Testament trying to understand and find poetic language to, to, um, uh, to relate to God, to understand and comprehend God in some capacity. And they were right to present these ideas because they present God as something bigger than what we can comprehend, bigger than what we can think of. But here's this other reality, the imminence of God. And, and I think that even though we talk about this, this is actually something we're not very good at practicing or knowing at a deeper level in our hearts. But this is a God who is imminent, God is not a solitary remote principle so high above us that we have no a God who is with us, who makes himself known to us and loves us. This is the idea of imminence. That which is in and, and works through is present to. This is the idea of the Holy Spirit being in us, right? That it, that he is wholly there and present to who we are and where we are at. Scripture testifies to this as well. Deuteronomy 4.7 says this, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? Right? This is, this is old Torah idea. This is old Israel scripture idea. This, was, this idea of imminence was, was baked into the Hebrew ideology. Right from the very beginning. No other gods in any other uh, cultures have this like we have it. None of them can call upon God in the way that we can. Isn't that interesting? Right? From the earliest days, there's been this recognition of God and, and his, his presence and availability to us. Isaiah 54, 5, For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. Your maker is your husband, right? 
there's this, there's this incredible bond, right? You know, when, when we get married, we use words like, you know, what God joins together may no man break. It's like marriage is the significant thing that brings two people together. And here is this ancient idea of two people being married, and these two people being married are not supposed to be separated. You know, there's this jointness that happens with God. For the maker is your husband. Uh, Ezekiel 34, uh, 11 says this, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. <coughs> Here is God declaring that he's going to break through into human history, that he will be the shepherd, that he will be with his flock, that he will be with his people this incredible presence and availability to his creation. And John fifteen fifteen, the words of Jesus as he sits with his disciples, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. There's no, there's no sense of a master over here and a servant over here. It's just friends. This beautiful sense of life together. This is the story of Christianity. This is the story that we are invited into by God. This is the kind of God that we are called to worship. And if our perspective on God can capture both these ideas, this idea of transcendence and this idea of imminence, begins to shape a little bit how we function and how we respond to the other and how we enter into our relationship with God. The transcendence and the imminence of God is the reality of our God. This is the reality of our God. We have a transcendent God. And, and here's what I want to say about this, because I, I don't want to, at no point, do I want to diminish this understanding of transcendence, because I think we're, we're pretty good at grasping it in some way, but in other ways we're pretty good at sort of just sort of glazing over it. When we think about the transcendence God, what it does is it fosters in us a sense of reverence, awe, and humility for who God is. It's this understanding and this, and this, and this response to a transcendent God that means that, that sometimes when you're worshiping, you, your hands just sort of seem to float up like they're carrying a, a small TV or something. You know, like they do this. Uh, you know, you it's just this response that begins to happen. It's, it's the sense of, of just being in awe of God. That's what this, this understanding of the transcendence of God fosters in us. But when we also have an understanding of the imminent God, well, this fosters a sense of reliability, authenticity, and vulnerability in us. We suddenly make ourselves available to God and also available to others. It becomes an easy thing to approach God in prayer to be able to say, Jesus, can I tell you about my week? And it's not weird, you know? Like I've just had these, I've honestly, you know, over the years I've just had these really nice moments with the imminent God, which I think is a shame when we, when we miss out on them. There was a period of time where I got into running, jogging. I don't know. I don't do that anymore, but... <clears throat> but when I did... <laughs> When I did, I, I, I had for a little while, I had this sense of, of Jesus meeting me on the corner. And it was almost like there was this one spot where when I got to the corner, it was like, it was like he met me there. And I, like I just ran with him for two kilometers or something, you know, like 
It was just this, this beautiful, strange, kind of stupid thing, but really special. You know, it was this moment of encounter with the imminent God. I've, I've done prayers where I, where I just, I tell Jesus about my day. Whether it's good or not, I just tell him about it. Jesus is my friend. I think that that's a really beautiful thing. And what it does is it fosters something in us together. It changes the way we relate to one another and we relate to the world around us. So here's what I want to invite you towards. We need to walk in this tension of knowing God as the transcendent and the imminent. It's not one or the other, but there's a tension between the two of them. This tension is both the beauty and the mystery of our faith. A God who is so big and yet so incredibly close. This is a special thing that is worth us clinging to. It's worth us clinging to. A lot of people know the verse John 3.16, but for me, like my John 3.16 is um, Colossians 1.15 to 20. And to me, it, to me it, it points to the story and to the transcendent and the imminent God. So I want to invite you to stand. And here's how we're, here's how we're going to finish tonight. I'm going to read Colossians 1.15 to 20. Uh, the worship team's going to come up. We're going to sing just maybe a verse and a chorus, a set of fire. And then, just as we're ready, a little bit haphazardly, right, we're just going to walk to the communion table, and we're going to go back to our seats, and we're going to have a moment with the transcendent and the imminent God as we partake in communion. So worship team, why don't you come up? Colossians 1, 15 to 20 says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Right, The transcendence of God, the transcendence of Jesus. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, in everything he might be first. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. To reconcile all things. To me that means like restoring things to what they were always meant to be. What, the, what were things always meant to be? to be divine image bearers, walking in step in relationship with God. That was the commission of humanity, and we see it in the first chapter of the Bible. That is what we're invited to, to know and be reconciled to the transcendent and imminent God. So God, would you unlock that in us? Would you draw us deeper into that this evening, I pray? set a fire in us so we would know you more as king and more as friend. Set a fire in us, I pray.